0: you're listening to the broadway podcast network this friday your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in disney pixar's inside out 2 it's time to greet your team riley it's anger let me at him. fear safety checklist is complete disgust ew ew sadness is in the house oh no hello Hey, everybody. Have you heard? We're having our first ever Producers Perspective Super Conference right here in New York City, November 11th and 12th of this year. Broadway producers, directors, writers, all speaking to you and telling you the secrets of their success. Come go to theproducersperspective.com and sign up. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I want to be a producer. We took it all Welcome back to the Producers Perspective Podcast. I am Ken Davenport, and we're back to weekly episodes of the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform to make sure you get all the new episodes delivered right to you. We have a whole bunch of very exciting guests coming up, including today's. So as you all know, one of my favorite things to do is talk to people in high-ranking positions in our industry that have come from high-ranking positions in other industries or related ones. Today I have just one of those folks in my office. She was previously the president of Worldwide Music for Sony Pictures Entertainment. She was on Billboard's Power One Hundred multiple times. Now she is the president of Columbia Live Stage, which is the new live theatrical productions division of Sony Pictures, and one of the lead producers on this season's Groundhog Day. Please welcome this, Leah Bollett. Welcome, Leah. Hi. Thank you. Glad to be here. So you've always had a thing for live entertainment. So tell me how this started for you, in live entertainment. Where did you get the bug? For live entertainment? I guess I actually got the bug from the fact that my parents took me to theater from the time I was really, really, really young. Like, actually, literally, one of my first memories is sitting in a theater. It was like a really small theater. It's a children's theater, in down number, which doesn't exist anymore. And I remember sitting in the theater and there was a, a forest on stage and the house lights went down and the stage lights came up and a beautiful girl was walking across the stage. And suddenly one of the trees had eyes and they opened. And that, Reeked me out so much. I I was two years old. I was like really, really too young to be in the theater, but it really upset me, and it is one of my most profound, lasting memories. My mother remembers. She took me out of the theater. It was fine. But it was also really magical and really intense, and I guess that You know, even though it was terrifying and very exciting, so you were terrified into the theater. I was terrified into the theater, Theater. scared of I frightened them to death. But yeah, my parents took me to theater, to concerts, to all of that all the time growing up, and I think I really developed a love of it at that point. And yeah, but the theater wasn't your first foray into into the business. No, no, I started working through an odd set of circumstances. I ended up working uh, touring as a sound engineer with bands when I was actually pretty young. And did that for a little while and then decided that I sort of wanted more slightly more settled life than touring with rock bands. So when I was about nineteen I moved to New York and started working in the theater as a sound operator, or a sound, and, you know, with aspirations to be a sound designer, kind of doing whatever sort of odd jobs you could do. I worked for doing sound for fashion companies or doing sound for industrials for McDonald's or, you know, whatever there was, but also working, doing a lot of off-Broadway and then eventually became a sound designer and then eventually designed sound on broadway And that was decades ago. So, um, let's just go back a little bit, because you said, oh, when I was very young, I toured with bands, and then you were like, I thought you were like to say, oh yeah, when I was 20-something, and then you said you moved to New York when you were 19, so how old were you when you started touring with rock band? I was 16. 16. yeah. And I heard a rumor that you graduated from high school at 15, is true? Yeah I, yeah, I finished high school, I finished all the credits, I sort of tested, and so. So obviously a very gifted young mind, and you were like, (laughs) "Mom and Dad, I'm going to tour with rock bands at 16. What made you decide that you wanted, what made you decide to do that? Like, why did you want to do that so badly versus you would think the normal trend would be Harvard or Yale or... I know, I think I wanted to be in music, and I think I wanted, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a performer, but that wasn't really my gift. To. you know, I I don't have a facility for writing music, which I think is part of the reason that I have so much respect for people who do. I did learn to play music, but again, being a performer, I wasn't really good enough to do that. But I I actually really understood sound and move and, and how the things should go together and how it should mix and all of that, and that actually came very naturally to me, and I think one of the things that has probably been good in my career and good for me is that I I've, I've tried to I'm pretty good at saying I'm not very good at that and maybe I should pursue that and I've tried to really focus on my strengths and find joy and satisfaction in things that I'm also good at as opposed to trying to struggle I would have had the worst life ever if I had really tried to be a, a all. A you know, musician playing someone because I just didn't really have that gift. Did you try writing music? You said you were very good at it. Yeah, I mean, in taking like music classes in school and things like that, it just wasn't something that ever came naturally to me. This is such such great advice because I remember thinking the same thing when I was acting. That, oh, probably do this, and yeah, you know, when I'm 40 something years old, I'll get a job at some. Regional theater, paying two hundred bucks a week, and I'll, I'll be excited about that. But really, being you know, achieving excellence is probably something I'll never achieve. So I made this conscious decision to pursue something else. And I think that's such great advice for those folks that are that are out there struggling at something. There are other areas of the business that you absolutely that can that can be incredibly satisfying. And and I'm I'm really really happy that I made those choices. So yeah. So you climb up the ranks of sound design here on Broadway off Broadway and then somehow you end up on the other coast yeah well what what happened was I I did a I did a lot of work and I was incredibly it was an incredibly great time I was in New York from like 1983 to 1993 and it was a you know there were fantastic Going on off Broadway. I worked at Clair Rose Horizons where Andre Bishop was and the register director. And I worked for for a lot of really, really interesting, great people and did a lot of shows and worked with Norman Remay and Craig Lucas. Norman is a director who died in the book of of AIDS. And Craig obviously Craig Lucas is very well known and he's Today, and so I had done a number of shows with them as the sound designer, and they got this opportunity to make a movie called Long Companion. And they said, Oh, Norman said, Oh, you should be our music supervisor. And I said, Oh, okay, that's great. I have no idea what that is, but sure, I can do that. But since I'd always, you know, help them with music we used in plays and, and work together pretty closely, it was a great opportunity to. This whole other medium So we did that film And it was incredibly Well received It was actually at the very first Sundance that ever Existed and Sex Last Videotape won the You know, main Festival Award And won the Audience Award And it was subsequently Nominated and uh, A nomination for Bruce Davidson For an Academy Award and so we got a good bit of a claim, and that was really, really exciting. And then the Deep Railroad really a Kiss on Broadway, and then that was going to be made into a film. And again, I'm just like, oh, you should be my music supervisor. And this movie was being done by 20th Century Fox, so it wasn't an indie film, it was a studio film. And even though, as I subsequently found out, they absolutely underpaid me, paid me nothing compared to what other music supervisors got, it was so much more money. That I had made when I was designing sound on Broadway. That I thought I think I should go into the film business now. <laughs> so sound designers don't are sort of at the bottom of the design they scale, and they uh, make considerably more clearly now than really even in the 80s. But in the 80s, it wasn't it wasn't great even on Broadway. It's so so it just seemed like the right. Thing to do at that time. so i decided in 93 to california and start while you were working for all these great people and on all these great theaters and for producers did you ever think oh someday i want to come back and do this i want to these people that are signing my checks right now i want to be one of those guys that signs checks i was always very ambitious to sort of Learn more about the entire business and do, you know, be a bigger part of the process. I will say that one of the things that has helped me so much now, coming back as a producer, the fact that I spent 10 years in tech,
1: the fact
0: that I, you know, have been on a ladder running cable, you know, in theaters, in Broadway theaters. Certainly, oddly, helps understand the totality of the process for when you come back. I mean, I, and I love the process of making a show and having worked with so many directors over the years, both in the theater and specifically in the movie business, has, I think, really, really helped me to be able to work with directors and creative teams from a producing standpoint. Because you've experienced a lot of different, you know, every situation is different. Every creative team is different. Every show is different and having set problems. But having a real wealth of experience with being able to support creative teams at the same time that you're sort of managing the show, I think is really important and really understanding, I think, helps. Yeah, I find that some of the some of the most valuable lessons I've learned is that when i have because I've been in the room where it happens, so to speak right the creators of the designs just look at you a little differently knowing that oh this is a person that's been through this process and on a ladder before themselves yeah great advice you got back then did you get any great advice from any of these on great missions of the world that you remember today as you were coming up I think I got a lot I I don't know that I can distill it into one particular moment I will say I got a lot of great advice and I learned from a lot of you know great experience and you know, working on shows, that when be, you know, with Wendy Wasserstein, I worked on the I.D. Chronicles, the first time done, and I did this done, you know, it's, it was, I don't know, it was just a really, really great time, and I, I'm sorry to be so unspecific. Well, I want to ask you a question, actually, about sound design while we're there for a minute, because you left here when sound design was in one place on Broadway. You've come back now, it's obviously much different. Oh, yeah, it's much more sophisticated. I don't think i can be a sound designer now. Do you feel like the sound at Broadway theaters sort of is better now than it was? Do you miss some of the less technological advances, if you will, more acoustic sounds? You know, I think it's... I worked for Scott Lair. I was his assistant for a long time, and he's obviously still, you know, very, very, very successful and prolific. And the, the truth is is that I think all, all sound designers, really good ones have slightly different approaches to how they deal with reinforcement. And then other sound designers, you know, come from a place of really amazing effects work or really amazing, or they post music as well as designing sound. So sound design is slightly, um, they're all slight, they're all a little different. I think some people's approach is a, a lot more, you know, strongly reinforced. I do prefer myself a more a slightly more natural sound to things, but I also recognize, you know, the need to the need to make it audible. But I think it's I think it's possible to have a I think if it feels too in your face and too, you know, really like I think that's actually less good sound design as opposed to less good technology. So you move out to LA, you enter the Studio in a very corporate position, coming from a very independent world here. You were a freelance sound designer here, right? Right. What was that transition like going from one where you never know where your next job is going to be? In- I did freelance for a long time when I first went to LA. I think I have a good understanding of how music gets put together, even though I don't create it, which again, when you take that in the world of producing, I don't feel the need to create it. I just want to. I think there's a big similarity between the composition of a film score and the composition of a theatrical score. Can it be looked at in the same way? I think mean, there are definitely similarities. I mean, good film scoring does do storytelling, and clearly, support for Broadway is well, all of that so, we don't have many people make that transition, right? We don't have a lot of film scorers coming to Broadway for some reason, even though they write some of the most luscious beautiful melodies. Because if good <laughs> well it very can you get if it runs <laughs> I think that part of it is because so much of it is lyric based I think that maybe part of it is that it's not just instrumental thematic ideas but it's actually you know, I, I, I don't know it's a good question actually an excellent question and maybe there will be more of that I guess there have been a few people who've might not a lot we've actually done it would a great amount of regular. When you were working for a big studio, obviously you saw a lot of movies come together from nothing, right? You see yeah. an idea then sprout into something much, much bigger. Is there anything that Broadway can learn from the developmental process of Hollywood? Anything that they do that is better than we do it? One thing I've noticed is that it's rare that one screenwriter Write a movie from start to finish, right? Come up with the idea, and there's just one writer taking it all the way through. Hollywood often has, well, writers get fired every day. You bring on someone to do a ghosting, and I'm sometimes amazed that one writer can ever do anything, even in our world. Do you think that's something that we should look at here in the theater, having multiple writers on a project? I I don't know that that would work as well in. the the theater and I think you know arguably there are certainly writers in Hollywood do and greatly object the fact that it's done that way as much as things there I think film is really a director's medium television tends to be the writer producers medium and theater actually very much is a busy writers problem um, I, I I think there are spectacular directors amazing brilliant theater directors. But I think that that sort of that sort of singularity of voice and vision with the writer and composer um, is, is very bedrock in the theater. And I don't, I don't, I don't know what that would be like. It could be good, you know, to have you know some of that. But I think it tends to be really that sort of singular voice that is part of what is what it is. To for better force. Anything else now that you've been working here as a producer on Broadway that you're like, oh, if we did it the way we did it in Hollywood, this would be so much easier. I think there are definitely things in you know in the world of I think there's a I think there's a level of sophistication in marketing and sales and you know those areas that I would say that Hollywood has been uh, you know and that sort of broader media. Longer entertainment base out there has spent a lot of time figuring things out, audience research, how to you know how to maximize your messaging and how to improve your messaging. And I think that I think that those things, you know, that those areas, there's there's a lot to learn from. from You're a fan of audience research and testing. Yeah, I mean the the, the thing to me about research and testing is that it's just more information. You can decide to say, oh, I think that's stupid and not do it, or I completely disagree with it. You know, it's it's a choice but to not have the information it seems like you're sort of cutting yourself off. And I admit the, the movie industry, you know, lives or dies on research and track and you know, test screens and all of that. And and I think that there are times when maybe it's too much in the movie business. Although I will say that, you know, over the twenty years that I worked in the studio, more often than not, it was pretty accurate. you know, on the on the aggregate. Sure, there are big hits and big pieces and like every movie producer will tell you, Oh, well, this movie that tank scored a ninety-eight, and this movie that scored a forty, you know, two hundred million dollars, there are always outliers on um, but on the whole, is usually somewhat informati, accurate and in useful so i I like I love information and um, I love other people's experiences and I love finding out how different people would approach different things because I think all of that informs you know my choices and how how I do the best job possible and it it is a completely transformative um I'm really interested in learning as much as I can both about, you know, the way things have been done traditionally and also being able to, be able to see if there are, as you say, things from my other experiences and other industries and how that informs doing this. So it wasn't too long ago where not many of the Hollywood studios had theatrical departments. Now they all do, including, of course, your What made Sony all of a sudden go, okay guys, guess what? We need our own live theatrical division. Was Was there anything that you could point to that made, made them want to do this? Well, Michael lenton who has actually just left Sony, was, I talked to him in probably 2011, and Sony had been, we have been licensing you know, a show here, a show there, and that's there. It wasn't, there wasn't really a strategy going I think he really wanted to uh, look at creating a strategy for us for it so that it wasn't so piecemeal. And I, because I had a background in the theater, I had been talking to him on and off about of that. And he felt like it was important if you were going to be a media company to be involved in. Network businesses in India and across the world, and you know, and if we were going to be sort of operating on the same scale, that it was an important part of sort of the overall plan. So I think that I mean, he's he's really the one who started it, and then I um, volunteered, given that I had a background in it and really loved the theater, and you know, will say miss the theater greatly and was really excited too, to try to start creating an overall sort of strategy for, you know, our properties and produce, moving into producing. do you find as you've gotten back to Broadway as a movie company executive now, you're no longer on The movie company party was embraced by the community? Were people nervous, oh, here comes big, bad Sony? What was the experience for you stepping back into? I'm hopeful that there were there were a number of people who I still you know still knew when I was here in the '80s, and hopefully that those people were incredibly uh, warm and nice about the fact that I was. And you know, it's important to me that I know all of the studios have sort of different approaches to how they're you know handling their businesses, you know, structured. Um, it is really important to me because I know how vital the theater community is and what a strong community it is and how many, like, smart, wonderful, you know, people there are in um, it. I really want to make sure that we can be a part of the community. And like I said, you know, before, I want to make sure that we integrate into the community as opposed to coming in as a... Uh, well, I can certainly speak to that, because when I reached out to you about wanting to get involved in Groundhog Day, first of all, you answered my email like in 15 seconds, and you even came to see me. So I just felt like a non hate company experience, which I very much appreciated, because I do think there has been a fear over the last decade as we've seen these big corporate giants march towards the East Coast of, oh God, we're going to be taken over by these giant publicly traded companies with all this money behind them. So for me, your approach, it meant yeah, a lot to what as a lead producer now on Broadway, what do you spend most of your time doing? You spend your time, obviously, you're not raising tons of money. I would think you have some big, some big pockets there. Is it marketing? Is it creative relations? Is it casting? What do you What do you do? What do you think of producers' primary responsibilities? I think it's. I think it is all of those things. I mean, ultimately, the first, you know, it's it starts with creating with these first part of it and then the sort of primary part of it without which you can have been marketing if you don't have a good show. So I think a lot of my time, you know, is spent on creating the shows, finding the talent, working with the talent to like, like I said, give them the, the support and the resources they need to be able to create good work. And then yes, marketing and making sure that shows put together the right way. I think that, you know, all Shows go through different, you know, phases of what you do as a producer, and you know this as a producer. There are, you know, times when, yes, you're really, really focused on it. I'm, because I like tech, I I sit through all of tech. I sit through tech. I sit through previews. I think you'd have to see the show play every night in order to the show. It's not like working on a movie where I can sit in front of a computer and watch scenes on a movie over. Marketing is something that starts before you go into rehearsals and lasts, you know, long after the show starts. so many. <laughs> there were a lot of surprises. Okay, so this is a brand new question here on uh, the producer's perspective. You're obviously a very successful person. You've been very successful in a whole different positions. In music on the West Coast, here on the East Coast, sound design. Do you have any life hacks, anything that you do that you attribute to your success on? It could be yoga. It could be meditation. It could be drinking lots of water every day. It could be app on your phone. Anything that you do that helps I like having time early in the morning when it's still quiet and long dark and when I can think and sort of dream a little bit and strategize and organize my mind before I have a lot of other responsibilities. And I think having, I think finding Very early town. So in LA, I would got a bit of like five. And um, New York, it's more like six. It's a little later in New York. New York starts later. But also, the reality is, when you're in LA, you're already three hours behind. And if you're working in the UK, you're eight hours behind when you wake <laughs> up. So it's, it's, it's a ground talk experience. It must have been quite, a, quite it, a few months. It was, I actually had a conference call doing. Discussing, you know, like notes and ideas and thoughts and some creative stuff that Matthew wanted to do. I had a conference call at two thirty in the morning. It's <laughs> just the only time everyone else could do it, and I didn't want to be a, you know, a, an impediment. And I wanted to hear what Matthew wanted, you know, to get achieved. So uh, so funny you say that because I often find I'm the last person to say yes to. last question, which is my genie question. I want you to imagine that the genie from Aladdin comes to visit you and says, I want to thank you for your dedication to the theater, uh, and I want to grant you one wish. What's the one thing that drives you crazy about Broadway? What gets you angry or so nice? I I told everyone already, you came to my office to talk to me about (laughs) Groundhog Day early in the process. You're so generous with your time. What's the one thing that makes you so mad that you ask this genie to wish away? Snap this. I don't know if it's nice, you know, part of it is that I'm a little bit like, do you know the parable of the scorpion and the frog? So there's a there's a frog and a scorpion on one side of the river, and for me, like, parables and those things, like, rule my life. Like, you know, the scorpion and frog on one side of the river, frog's i ready to swim across the river, and the scorpion says, frog, frog, take me across the river, and the frog say, I'm not going to take you across the river on my back, you'll... Sting me, and you'll kill me. And why would I do that? The scorpion says, "No, no, no. Why would I sting you? If I stung you, you would sink, and we would both drown, and and that wouldn't work for me at all. That would be terrible. I just want to get across the river." The frog's like, "Okay, well, let me sense." Okay, so frog gets some water. The scorpion gets the frog's back. The frog's swimming across the river. Suddenly, in the middle of the river, the scorpion stings him, and the frog is paralyzed, and he's like dying. And he said, "You, why did you do that?" And the scorpion said. I can't help it. It's my nature. And so I guess a lot of the things, at least so far, maybe, you know, in a few years hence, I will have things that I'll be able to say, like, that's a complete frustration and I hate that. Or maybe, like, when I walk out the store, I'll be like, oh, I should have said that. But I right now, most of the things that I have found frustrating, I'm a little bit like, I mean, these are things that you need to just understand are part of, are part of. The challenges of any business, and every business has them. You know, the movie business is right with challenges, and the music business is right with challenges, and the theater business is as well. But it's a magnificent, magnificent world. You know, filled with really, really exciting people, smart, unique, interesting, creative, and anytime you put that many strong personalities in one, like you know, fifteen. Square block radius, <laughs> yes. there are going to be like challenges and things that are frustrating, but we sort of take it good that. And I like, couldn't feel more fortunate and be more excited about the possibilities. Well, that's uh, the best non answer for that question <laughs> I have had to date. I love it. It's a very Zen like I get up at five o'clock in the morning and answer, just not let it bother you because we're all really, frankly, blessed to be working in this business. So thank you for being here and working in in this business. And thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll see you next time. Producers Perspective Super Conference. Early bird pricing ends this week, this Friday, July 14th. Go to theproducersperspective.com and sign up.